Give me liberty or give me death. You may have heard that statement. It was made a long time ago. It's been used by many people since it was first said by Patrick Henry because the feeling behind that statement never goes out of date. Give us liberty or give us death could be the slogan of the Ukrainian people at the moment as they're fighting so bravely for their freedom. We can understand the value Ukraine puts on its national liberty. In this country, we also value the ability to choose our leaders and to change them every few years if we want to. And most people would agree, liberty isn't just about getting to choose our leaders. It's about choosing how we personally want to live. Deciding what kind of work we want to do, what we do with our money, how we raise our family. In recent years, we've decided liberty includes deciding for ourselves how we use our bodies. Deciding even what body is best for us. As a society, we've decided that true liberty means breaking the rules and making up our own. And so it's all a bit confusing, isn't it? We know instinctively that freedom is a good thing. We know instinctively, I think, that Russia is wrong to invade Ukraine and impose its leadership on Ukraine, for example. But we also sense, I think, that there's something a bit tricky about me deciding I'm a woman, for example, even though all the evidence points to me not being a woman. So is liberty a good or a bad thing? Well, the Bible's answer is that yes, liberty is a good thing. But before we are ready to talk about liberty, we have to go back a step and realize something fundamental about ourselves as human beings. The Bible calls each one of us to accept that we are all serving someone. Unless we understand this fundamental truth about ourselves, we will never understand what true freedom is. Because true freedom is not actually about being our own master. True freedom comes through serving the right master. That is the message of our passage this morning in John chapter 8. If you haven't found it yet, it's on page 1074 in the church Bibles or 1663 in the larger print Bibles. Last week we heard Jesus proclaim himself to be the life-giving light of God, the light of the world. And wonderfully, in the last verse of our passage last week, John chapter 8, verse 30, we were told when Jesus announced himself to be the light of the world, many believed in him. Fantastic. Except that Jesus doesn't seem impressed by their belief. In the very next verse, he doesn't congratulate these people for believing in him. 
He challenges them about whether their belief is true belief. So let's pick up in verse 31 and we'll read down to verse 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet... You are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come in my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. This is God's word. And it begins by telling us real freedom is being controlled by Jesus' word. From the beginning of John's gospel, this word believe has appeared many times. And John has shown us not all belief in Jesus is true belief. One of the purposes of this gospel is to teach us what true belief is. 
And here in verse 31, Jesus gives these new believers a definition of true belief. He says to them in verse 31, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. To hold to Jesus' teaching doesn't just mean accepting it, it means continuing in it, remaining in it, persevering in it. When we tell someone to hold their ground, we don't mean take a stand and then back down. We mean stick to your guns. Stick to your position. And Jesus says that's what true belief in him does. It holds tight to Jesus and his teaching. It perseveres. Mark Dever explains it like this. He says, the kind of belief Jesus is talking about is not a probationary test drive. It is not mere armchair speculation or a passive religious gamble concerning the afterlife. Saving belief is belief that lasts. So we don't take belief in Jesus for a spin. We don't sign up for a three-month trial or even a three-year trial. True belief commits for the long haul. And this belief that lasts is not just something in the background of our lives. Lots of our beliefs are background beliefs. For example, I firmly believe that Paris is the capital of France. I hold to that. I believe the earth is round instead of flat. I believe water is composed of two hydrogen atoms bonded to an oxygen atom. I hold to those truths. My belief in them perseveres year after year. I am unwavering in my commitment to those beliefs. And yet they have little or no impact on my daily life. That is not the kind of lasting belief Jesus is talking about. Holding to his teaching means considering his teaching precious. Obeying it and seeking to understand it better. Holding to Jesus' teaching means letting it take hold of us. It means being controlled by it. It means letting his word be our law every day. And look what comes from persevering in and being controlled by Jesus' teaching. Verse 32, Jesus says, Then, if you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Here, knowing the truth is not just grasping some facts, like the fact that Paris is the capital of France. This is about truly knowing God. It's about experiencing the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and the new life that salvation brings. Jesus says, be controlled by my word and you will find yourself living in the truth and that truth will set you free. 
Of course, that statement assumes we are not free. Not until we come and hold to Jesus' teaching. Jesus is telling these people they are slaves. And they understand what he's telling them. And they're annoyed. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? It's quite true that these people are physical descendants of Abraham. The 12 tribes of Israel came from the sons of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. But what about the statement that Abraham's descendants have never been slaves of anyone? Their history seems to be one long story of slavery, doesn't it? Read the Old Testament. They were slaves first to Egypt, then Assyria, then Babylon, then Greece. And as Jesus speaks these words, the Israelites are under the thumb of the Romans currently. We might have a hard time finding a nation the Israelites haven't been enslaved to. And so, it is very unlikely this crowd is talking about political slavery here. They would accept they have often been in that kind of slavery. When they say we've never been slaves, they mean spiritually we've never been slaves. No matter what chains, no matter what harsh labor has been imposed on us, no matter which regime has ruled over us, in our hearts, we've always been free people. We may often have been chained on the outside, but never on the inside, not us. Whatever slavery we had to endure was due to our circumstances. It was not due to the state of our hearts. And isn't that the view of things which is pretty standard today? We're willing to blame the government for holding us back and dragging us down. Or we'll blame our boss or our family or our teachers or our pupils, as the case may be. We're willing to blame the NHS, even the manager of our football team. It's his fault I keep losing my temper. We're willing to blame all of those things, but try telling us there's something in our own hearts that holds us back and drags us down. Make that suggestion and see how well it's received. We don't like to hear that our hearts are the problem, that we're chained on the inside. We like to believe we would be wonderful people if the slave drivers around us and the shackles of our circumstances were removed. We don't take kindly to being told that our main problem is not the government or the NHS or our family. Just like this crowd in Jerusalem don't like to hear that the Romans aren't their main problem. But Jesus insists in verse 34, you think you're free on the inside, you think your problems come from your circumstances, but very truly I tell you, everyone who sins 
is a slave to sin. Jesus says you don't sin because your football team has a rubbish manager or because your family doesn't respect you or because your boss doesn't pay you enough. You sin because your heart is a slave to sin. And so your circumstances, they just provide the occasion for your heart to show its slavery to sin. As you react to your circumstances with bitterness, dishonesty, or despair. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And look what that means in verse 35. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. A few verses back, we've seen these people mention their credentials as Abraham's descendants. And they mention those credentials because they're quite sure that their background gives them an in with God. But Jesus gives that no weight at all here. He says, you're slaves to sin. That means you have no place in God's family. In an ancient household, a slave never truly belonged, but a son did. And Jesus says, in God's family, those who are slaves to sin don't belong, but I do. I am the Son, capital S. One of the aims of John's gospel is to display Jesus as the Son of God. And at this point in the book, the reason people are already trying to kill Jesus is because he claims to be the Son of God. And here, the point is, the Son belongs, the slaves don't. But Jesus goes on to say that wonderfully, in God's family, the Son can give the slaves a permanent place. Verse 36. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from slavery to sin. Accepted into God's family as a son or daughter. That is the opportunity Jesus sets in front of us. To be free indeed. Free at the core of who we are. Free in our heart and soul. Free with a freedom that outward circumstances cannot take away. This is a freedom that means when bitter things impact our lives, we are not condemned to react with bitterness. This is a freedom that means when we come into contact with dishonorable people, we are not condemned to respond to them in dishonorable ways. Jesus is offering us a freedom that can face losses and trials without sinking into despair. And how do we enter into this heart freedom? Jesus already gave us the answer back in verses 31 and 32. We enter into this freedom when we hold to Jesus' teaching. 
when we embrace his word that he is God the Son come from heaven and that his death on the cross is our only way to true life. And that his instruction is our law. That his instruction is to be obeyed even when it contradicts what our own wisdom and our own desires are prompting us to do. We hold to Jesus' teaching as the eternal truth of God and we are set free. Real freedom is being controlled by Jesus' word. We find real freedom not through independence, not through self-expression. We find real freedom through obedience to the right master. And our freedom grows as our obedience grows. But what if we think this freedom just costs too much? What if the idea of being controlled by Jesus' word sounds like we'd be giving up too much? We might wonder if there's another option where we agree with Jesus that our hearts are not what they should be, but rather than taking the drastic step of submitting ourselves entirely to Jesus, Instead, we try to wriggle out of slavery on our own. We identify the chains on our hearts and we try to break them one by one. I went to school with a professional footballer who reckons that over the course of his career, he lost around seven million pounds to a gambling addiction. Just a few weeks ago, I heard him give an interview where he said, they always tell you you can't beat an addiction on your own. But I did. And I'm very proud of that, he said. Although he kind of spoiled the effect when he went on to admit that he does still gamble, just not as much as he used to. Which isn't surprising given his wages these days. Still, Leaving that aside, isn't it possible maybe for us to take that same route where we work towards freedom on our own without the drastic step of being controlled by Jesus' word, without having him as our master? As freedom-loving people, we might feel that serving Jesus couldn't be genuine freedom. We might feel that until we hear what Jesus says next. Verses 37 to 47 tell us those who are free from Jesus' word are children of the devil. Now Jesus doesn't blurt that out straight away. He inches his way towards that one step at a time. A few verses back, the crowd have pointed to their credentials as Abraham's descendants. And Jesus picks up on that here in verse 37. He says, I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence. 
and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We might find it hard to nail down what Jesus is saying here. But it will help if we understand that biblically, true sonship is about more than biology. True children are like their father. In the sense that they behave like their father. And that connection, biblically, is much more significant than any biological connection. So, for example, Jesus gave two of his disciples a nickname. He called them the Sons of Thunder. Now, he wasn't suggesting that Thunder had biological children. Jesus was suggesting that those two disciples had such thunder-like personalities, they behaved so much like thunder, maybe thunder was their dad. They were the sons of thunder. And that helps us get a grip on what Jesus is saying here. As he tells the crowd, it's true that you're physically descended from Abraham, you're from his bloodline all right, You have that biological connection, but you're not truly his children because Abraham's true children behave like him. They share his deep commitment to God. They share his carefulness to listen to God and respond with obedience. Jesus says, I'm here bringing God's word to you. And you have no room for it. So much so that you're trying to kill me. So no, Abraham isn't really your father. Someone else is your father. In the second half of verse 41, the crowd snorts back at Jesus. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. It seems the crowd here are having a dig at Jesus' own background, pointing to the fact that his mother Mary was pregnant before she got married. We're not illegitimate, Jesus, but we're not sure the same can be said for you. And then they leave off the thing about Abraham being their father, and they go a level up. Okay, Jesus, never mind about Abraham then, God is our Father. He chose us as His special people. But again, Jesus replies by saying, No. When I mention your Father, it's not Abraham or God I have in mind. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. 
and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Jesus says, if children's behavior shows a family likeness to their father, let's see what father your behavior traces back to. You won't hold to the truth of my teaching. In fact, you want to kill me. So, who's your daddy? It's the one who was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. The details of that are recorded back in Genesis chapter 3. The devil appeared either using a snake or in the form of a snake, and he persuaded Adam and Eve that God's word could not be trusted. The devil assured Adam and Eve that contrary to what God had said, they would not die if they ate the fruit of their forbidden tree. They would actually become like God. God was just trying to hold them back by telling them to leave that one tree alone. The devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. And he was a murderer from the beginning. Because when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they did die. Physically, they didn't die immediately, although physical death did become their destiny the moment they ate. But in that moment, they did die spiritually. Instead of the godlike freedom the devil had promised them, their hearts became slaves to sin, enslaved to the devil's lies. And that's why Jesus can make the incredible statement he does in verse 45. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. If that verse is taken out of context, it makes no sense. Because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me? Surely the thing human beings want most is to know the truth and live by it. Who wants to live by lies? Don't we pride ourselves in seeing through scams and deceptions? We're not going to be hoodwinked. But Jesus says you're trapped in the devil's scam. He has hoodwinked you. He has caught you in the web of his lies. In fact, because he's your father and you show the family likeness, you reject my word precisely because it is the truth. When the devil's your father, you have no room for the truth in your hearts. That is the absurd behavior of those who are slaves to sin. But absurd as it is, 
It makes sense to those in the devil's family. And if even these people, these proud religious descendants of Abraham, if even they can be described by Jesus as children of the devil, what can be said of all those others who don't hold to Jesus' teaching? They're in exactly the same boat as these Israelites. Or more accurately, they're in exactly the same family. Well, what are we supposed to do with this? Is verse 44 the place to begin with our evangelism? Should that be the verse on our invites to the Christmas carol service this year? You belong to your father, the devil? Probably not. But... Sooner or later, this is where our evangelism has to go. The message Jesus proclaimed is that outside of him, we are all slaves to sin and children of the devil. According to Jesus, we reject him not because we're experts in sniffing out a scam, If you're rejecting Jesus today, can you honestly say you've dug into the evidence and you have uncovered a scam? No, we reject Jesus because we are caught in the devil's scam. We're stuck in the rut started by Adam and Eve where we turn away from the truth of God's word and we embrace the devil's destructive lies instead. And so if you are not a Christian, Jesus' words here call you to think long and hard about the foundation of your life. Are you confident that your unbelief is as smart and solid as you've been telling yourself? Are you very sure that your rejection of Jesus doesn't have a whiff of the devil about it? That maybe you're not the free thinker you pride yourself in being. Are you willing to consider that your thinking might not be free at all? That you may in fact need to be set free by Jesus? That is the fierce truth Jesus confronts us with in this passage. But thank God, there is life-saving truth here as well. Real freedom is held out to us here. If we will acknowledge what slaves we are, and what a murderous, lying father we have, and if we'll come to Jesus not for a probationary test drive, or a religious gamble about the afterlife, if we'll come and hold to his teaching, committed to being controlled by his word, then we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. We will experience real freedom.
Because if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Free from sin's slavery. It's no longer our master. And along with that freedom comes adoption into a new family. With a new, eternally loving, perfectly trustworthy Father in heaven. As Christians, we can do a lot better than give me liberty or give me death. As Christians, we can say, I have liberty from death. I am free indeed in the perfect freedom given by Jesus Christ. Freedom that my circumstances cannot take away. This passage teaches us we are all serving someone. When we commit to serving Jesus, we find real freedom in his service. If any of us have forgotten that truth this morning, if we've begun to think that it's a burden to serve him, a bind, if we've begun drifting into that thinking, let's come back to the truth. Let's praise him again for this blessing we have. And let's recommit to be men and women controlled by his word. And if you've been trying to test drive Jesus, if you've been messing around with armchair speculation about him, come and commit to him. Hold to his teaching. And you'll enter into true freedom. And the tighter you hold to his teaching, the greater that freedom will be. But maybe you're slightly different from either of those this morning. Maybe you feel you are such a slave to sin, God would never accept you and set you free. Don't believe that lie. That is one of the devil's favorite lies. The devil has scammed a whole lot of people with that particular lie. Come and you'll be welcomed by the Father who loves you and the Son who died for you. We're going to respond to God's word as we sing two songs. First of all, a song of commitment or recommitment. Jesus, all for Jesus. And then finally, we'll hear what God says about us when we commit to Jesus. Who you say I am.
See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And in Christ, that is what we are. Thanks be to God for his gift beyond words. Amen.